This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now here are your hosts, clinical health psychologist, Dr. Kelly Donahue and nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. Good morning. We are here with Dr. Steve Horwitz. He's a graduate of Cornell and the National University of Health Sciences. He was selected by the USOC to be the sole chiropractor on the US Olympic team medical staff for the 26th Olympia. That's impressive. He has traveled internationally with US, USATF and consulted with several Division I sports programs. He's the chairman of the Maryland Council on Physical Fitness, the Maryland director for the NSCA, and the co-chair of the Care and Prevention of Sports Injuries Program in Montgomery County, Maryland. He's a two-time champion of the Tactical Strength Challenge Masters Division and the founder of Team Safe Sports. Welcome, welcome. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much. And we'd love to get started with understanding how people got to where they are today. So can you please give us a brief or not so brief history leading us up to today and how you came to do what you do? Wow. Okay. (laughs) So um, I guess just briefly start in college. So I, you know, I was very fortunate and my parents were able to get me to Cornell University and, and afford that. Um, it was a little bit of a struggle for them, but it was just an amazing experience and with all these smarty pants. And I kind of was interested in sports and in medicine, um, but frankly had an injury to my shoulder, uh, in and I was being shown how to weight lift for the first time and I hurt my shoulder, uh, and I actually had a spotter. I was smart enough at 18 to have a spotter, but the spotter wasn't smart enough to spot me, and I wasn't smart enough to make sure the spotter was spotting me. So um, I hurt my shoulder, and I went to the orthopedic surgeon at school, and since I wasn't uh, an athlete, i.e. on a sports team, my exam was, does this hurt, does this hurt, does this hurt, ouch, put it in a position over my head that it hurt, and he said, take two aspirin, see you later literally take two aspirin see mm. and luckily the nurse there was familiar with something called codman's exercises which are basic shoulder rehab exercises this is going back a long time ago this is 1978 so um i thought wow isn't this interesting that's not the way i want to be treated i was kind of tossed out of the the big shot that treats all the sports injuries and you take aspirin. I don't know if I want to do that. So it gave me significant pause to think about what I really wanted to do. And I ended up becoming a history major in school. Um, but fast forward to one of those, where I was a senior and said, you know, I'm just still not sure. And I'm Jewish and as nice Jewish parents will do, you know, they look through a whole book of, uh, of professors. I should call it a chiropractor. I'm like, well, what's a chiropractor? So I started to do some research and I very quick Cornell University's um, kind of little area where you could go talk to a, a counselor. You know, those at Cornell don't go to chiropractic school. I thought, that interesting. 
making me want to go even more. So I started to look into it and I thought, isn't this an interesting profession? Um, maybe this is the way to go. So I went to chiropractic school and um, got hooked up with a lot of weightlifters, interestingly enough. So you can see where this story is going with, my, with knowing a little bit about my history. And I thought, wow, I'm surrounded by these massive guys that really know how to train. And then as in school, we were starting to learn about anabolic steroids. And this is, you know, 1984, and, and you'll appreciate this, both of you, you know, my, the PhD in exercise physiology is telling us anabolic steroids don't enhance athletic performance. Now, remember, this is 1984. And I thought, well, is that interesting? Because my friends at the gym, their squats just went up 100 pounds in 10 mm -hmm. weeks. So I kind of think you're wrong, Doc. <laughs> um, so that's where that kind of relationship between sports science, sports medicine, and the athletes, you know, had been been apart for really by 1984, you know, several decades with the introduction of anabolic steroids, right? Um, by, by a physician from uh, only Maryland, as a matter of fact, interestingly enough. Uh, but that's a that's, whole other story. And, that's close and to us. And there's this big disconnect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, that's close to where I used to live. Yeah, maybe one small correction. I'm no longer in Maryland. I've uh, been in Texas here for the last six and a half years. Uh, so America Council on Physical Fitness, that was way back in the day in the 90s, early 2000s. Um, but so I started to learn there are definitely some disparities between what's in sports science, what's in medicine, mm -hmm. and what I'm being to get thing, taught with things like back school and what to do for work comp injuries with people who got hurt and left. And once again, the professors are showing me how to lift. And I'm thinking, you know, none of my friends who deadlift 600 pounds lift like that. I think you're wrong, Doc. <laughs> so again, you can see where this blending of the training uh, where guys that didn't necessarily, and many of the guys I was surrounded by had no formal education. And it really, it really made me think about how I wanted to handle myself. So fast forward, I started to compete. And uh, then I thought, well, how am I going to handle a patient after I graduated? And, and that's when I decided to kind of blend the sports training with the chiropractic care because I could never really understand, well, how could I possibly treat a patient and not understand how to train? And mm -hmm. even beyond that, I, I was super fortunate to have a PhD uh, nutrition professor. And when I started a bodybuild back in chiropractic school, he was nice enough to sit down with me and do diet diaries. Remember writing on a piece of paper, you know, eight ounces of orange juice and yeah. looking as one, once again, this is the mid eighties, way before the labeling, you know, so I really learned a ton about nutrition because I was doing a self diet diary. Here we have nutrition kind of outside the formal nutrition with just the N equals one Steve and how I learned, wow, maybe it might not be a good idea to guzzle those you know, 32 ounces of orange juice after mm -hmm. the workout, that's all sugar. You know, learning that in 1984, 85, that was really helpful, frankly. You were um, way ahead of the curve. Way, but, you know, Dr. Peyton Davis, I mean, what a sweet man. Horrible professor in front of the room, but just awesome. <laughs> I used to stand at the bulletin board and write in teeny tiny print, and, but he was just, I mean, just huggable guy, just amazing man. 
And he was so helpful to me. So it really made me think about how I wanted to treat a patient. So by the time I got out of school, I thought, how could I not talk about nutrition with this patient? How could I not talk about training and ergonomics back in the day of Polaroid? Mm-hmm. If folks out there remember what a Polaroid camera was, how could somebody with carpal tunnel syndrome actually go to a doctor? And how could that doctor not talk to them about what they're doing for eight or 10 hours a day? Mm-hmm. Like take a roid of your workstation and let's take a look at it. And you see all these crazy postures. So you can see how my thought process was developed by all these different things. And that's really how I arrived at kind of my treatment styles. How could I not deal with these things? And isn't it interesting, because I see on my Twitter post, how it's now all evidence mm-hmm. in quotations. It's now evidence. Isn't that interesting? So that's kind of how I arrived at you know, where I am with all the different things that I do. And I just was fortunate to have great mentors. And I think that's really key. I mean, I, I am a big advocate of the concept of evolve, shift, and change that even though I'm traditionally Western medicine trained over the course of many years in Western medicine, ER medicine and cardiology, that I got to a point where I just started saying, there has to be more to this than writing prescriptions. And so I started digging a bit deeper. And, and as you know, most Western medicine trained providers get little to no education on, on food and nutrition other than the you know USDA food guide pyramid. So Kelly and I actually both did our nutrition, our functional nutrition program together and completely changed our whole perspectives, especially my own. I mean, I left clinical practice uh, to kind of go out on my own. And, and you know, it, it, it always humors me when we look at studies that are from the 1970s, the 1950s, that completely dispel so much of the dogma that we were literally fed uh, in schooling. So I think it's amazing that you were already making those connections and, and, you know, kind of questioning, questioning things. I think a lot of us, um, don't spend enough time questioning dogma and we kind of blindly follow what the masses are doing. So being an outlier, uh, so far in the past, I think it's just incredible. So I, I think your story is, um, what many of us, it takes us a little longer to get there, but we start to question a whole lot and, you know, devise ways that, uh, ultimately impact our patients more. But one of the things that I've found fascinating about you is you've had this incredible journey, but you've also had a bit of a health journey yourself. So I would love for you to touch on that. Oh boy, have I ever. So, <laughs> you know, born in Brooklyn, grew up in New Jersey, thought myself pretty tough, you know, got into bodybuilding, powerlifting, martial arts, blah, blah, blah. And then, oh boy, you know, Mike Tyson comes out of nowhere, hook uh, or undercut, and just lays me out. So back right as at the end of chiropractic school, this is actually pretty interesting from a clinical perspective. I started to feel just kind of some discomfort a little bit with swallowing. Mm -hmm. And after my second bodybuilding competition, which was very successful for me. Um, you know, what's the standard thing? You know, you, you, I'm eating out of a crock pot for three months. So I'm in <laughs> Chicago at chiropractic school. So I'm going to Giordano's pizza after the competition uh, for the deep dish, which is delicious. And <laughs> we got there and I could only eat one piece. 
I'm like, what the heck? Like, what is wrong here? I should be able to eat a pie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, we fast forward several months and I'm choking on an orange peel and thank girl that I was seeing at the time knew the Heimlich maneuver. And she's looking at me like, uh, no, there's something not right here. This is not normal. So luckily, my dad was a hospital administrator uh, in a, uh, used to be the director of labor relations for the New York City Health and Hospital Corporation is going back a long time ago. And then he was hired um, at a local hospital in New Jersey for the last 10 years that he worked. Uh, anyway, so I was able to get in very quickly and I had a barium swallow. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, as the barium flows down, there was some beaking, meaning looking mm-hmm. like a bird's beak at the base of the esophagus, which is a telltale sign of something called a chalasia, which is mm-hmm. a great board question because nobody knows what the heck of it, it is because it's <laughs> a rare disease. Uh, you know, one in one, one, in 100,000 kind mm-hmm. of thing. But luckily, the radiologist was really sharp. Actually, it was the radiologist. Um, I think he just told the radiologist, frankly, <laughs> and he noticed it immediately. Uh, I'm really big on the techs and nurses who mm-hmm. don't get any credit who deserve most of the credit. That's another story, which I didn't <laughs> talk about when I was in the hospital and all. But um yeah, so that started a journey to Temple University. And, and again, because of my gas connection to see the quote up people. So I went to Dr. Stanley Cohen at Temple University, Dr. Esophagus. And after he took a look there, uh, he confirmed that I had this bizarre disease called achalasia. So achalasia is, a, is an autoimmunity disease, so we think. Sure, it's an autoimmune disease of the esophagus uh, where the vagus nerve doesn't function and your swallowing is disturbed. So what does that mean in regular speak? Mighty Maca is a superfood drink mix full of 30 plus natural ingredients, and it was formulated by Dr. Anna Kabeca during her healing journey. Mighty Maca Plus ingredients, which include nourishing ingredients like organic maca powder, turmeric, quercetin, broccoli, parsley, trans resveratrol, pomegranate extract, and more, were carefully selected for immune support to sustain energy, provide mental clarity, and improve recovery. It also tastes delicious. It supports healthy detoxification and alkalinity in the body, balances hormones, fights free radicals, and neutralizes lactic acid, all while increasing your energy and vitality. It helps improve your digestion and reignites your libido. It's a powerful superfood drink mix that needs to be part of your daily routine. And Dr. Anna is offering my listeners 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off your first per that's 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. It's delicious and nutritious. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep 
challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of beam minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.bminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.bminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. Well, your esophagus propels food and water down in muscular waves, right? So that's why in college you can you know, drink beer and stand on your head. Um, but I couldn't do that anymore. So the muscular action of the esophagus fails in achalasia. So you don't have those wave pulsations. And that last third wave pulsation opens what's called your distal esophageal sphincter, mm -hmm. which is that muscle that opens up that allows this bolus to get down um, into the stomach. And that doesn't work. So it stays tonically shut and kind of opens whenever it wants. So not to get too gross, you, you, you cut me off if I'm going too deep. But, um, you know, everything backs up and mm -hmm. everything just sits there like sludge and it yeah, gets pretty nasty. So I had um, back in 1987, I had what's called a pneumatic dilation where they stick a tube down, kind of like a blood pressure cuff. And they have the little pumping action and they blow it up, hopefully not enough to uh, tear it. So, they, you know, they call it stretching the esophagus ha, 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 being, you know, a, a musculoskeletal guy. No, you're actually tearing the fibers and you're just praying that you don't tear them too much. That's mm -hmm. what you're actually doing. I get it, but they're, they're hopefully skilled at it. So I had that done. And then over the course of the next couple of decades, I just had it basically monitored. And when I moved to uh, the Washington, D.C. area, which is where I set up my chiropractic practice after chiropractic school, um, I went to another top guy, Stanley Benjamin at Georgetown, and he, quote, kept an eye on it, but um, he actually wasn't um, endoscopies, and I felt like somebody wrote a, literally wrote a root in my throat for several days after he took a look. Um, uh, he, he actually wasn't really that great at it. 
Then in my 40s, if we fast forward, it started 38, 39, 40. I, I started to really have difficulty uh, laying prone. Um, I had to start sleeping elevated. Um, the heartburn was really bad. Um, it's it started ugly. And then um, by mid 40s, I said, really not good. Uh, by that time, I finally got married. I 40s and, and my wife and I were, were like, this is, this is no good. So I started doing research via PubMed and everybody in the world should know PUBMED.gov. Uh, we're all, you know, you got everybody out there. That's the repository of all the medical, um, uh, what is it? Medical Live National Institute of Health, uh, medical research library. All the, all the studies are, are there. And most of the time you can find the abstracts on B. Now there are all these websites where you can put in the DOI number of the paper for free. But anyway, that's where you can really learn. This is not the magazine or the New York Times or the, God forbid, the Washington Post. Um, no, we need to actually have the study so we can see what's really going on. I started to use some research via the National Library of Database and uh, found folks over at university in Seattle and they had a swallowing institute. And um, I decided after much reading and corresponding because people should know that usually the lead author's email address is actually in a little teeny button that says author affiliations or author information. Really important things that people should know. And you can actually email the lead author of the study. And if you put together a concise uh, explanation and, and description of what information you want, most of these authors are great folks and they'll email you back. So I thought that was pretty cool. So I got a bunch of emails back and ended up at University of Washington and ended up having this surgery called a hellomyotomy, which is where they do myotomy for myo muscle. They cut the muscle longitudinally, you know, up to top to bottom. And they cut it just above and just below that esophageal sphincter with the hope, once again, now they're actually slicing it, right? As opposed to sticking the tube down and, quote, stretching it or tearing it. Now they're slicing it. And then they do what's called a fundoplication, which is they take the top of the stomach and they rewrap the top of the stomach, not quite 360 degrees, like for a hiatal hernia, but 270 degrees, depending on the surgeon. I know this is going into the woods here with details, but it kind of matters because this surgeon decided not to do the fundoplication part after he saw how tortuous my esophagus was. The other part of Western medicine is this surgeon did not listen to my wife, did not listen to my brother. Uh, my brother lives out there and that weighed very heavily in our decision-making as to where to do the surgery because as you know, Cynthia, you know, mm -hmm. recovery is key and having a nice comforting place to be for a while when you recover is really, really important. So since my brother lived out there, I decided on the University of Washington, that was kind of the, you know, that helped me push, push that decision over the edge. But this surgeon did not listen to my brother who was there, my wife, nor me, explaining to him, don't keep me completely prone, I mean, um, supine, flat, raise me up, raise me up a little bit, use gravity so I don't aspirate. And this guy kept me flat. 
Mm. I aspirated. Oh, no. So I told my wife, and I'm happy to say it publicly because I won't say his name, but if forever I see him, just have the money ready because he's getting laid out. No, no. <laughs> I promise you, this guy didn't listen. He caused me to aspirate. It got infected. No, thank you. Uh, 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 you know, even to this day, like, wow. So Western medicine, you know, keep your ego where it needs to be and do right by the patient. And we have two ears and one mouth, right? So twice listen before you speak. Um, really, you know, it's just not cool for the patient. Um, that could have been a horrific event. Uh, luckily, I was very healthy. So, you know, I was able to recover quickly. Fast forward, that surgery didn't work. Um, after six months, I still couldn't swallow very well. And uh, the next couple of years went by and then um, haven't really talked about this a whole lot publicly written about it, maybe a little bit, but I started to have bouts of AFib, interfibrillation. It's an arrhythmia. So, right. So the heart is not beating normally and it's flippy flopping all over the place. So the day before my 49th birthday, something's not right. And I didn't know what was going on because I just didn't feel good. Well, that was my first of many um, AFib episodes. And, you know, hospital, get electrically cardioverted, you know all about that. Mm -hmm. And upon x-ray, my esophagus is enormous. Right? It's dilated almost mm -hmm. nine centimeters. I wonder if that was the impetus for the AFib. There you go. Some mm -hmm. physical pressure on the heart, right? So now I have... Now I've got confirmed, wow, I'm really messed up internally. And now I'm messing up my heart. So that sent me back again to the computer with a more updated search at PubMed, knowing how to use it a little bit better, emailing a whole bunch of docs. Now I'm thinking, oh, crap, do I need an esophagectomy? Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. You know, ectomy, removal, esophagus. Think about that. How the heck do you remove your esophagus and still live? Yeah. Uh, well, so I found a bunch of docs that do this kind of thing. And most of the time, the esophagectomy is done for um, esophageal cancer Correct. as opposed to achalasia. So now you need a super duper duper focused expertise here because the issues with cancer and potentially spreading the cancer very serious, very mm -hmm. serious, significant skill set, but different issues with achalasia because now you have blood vessels that are dilated. So there's a huge bleeding issue mm -hmm. that might not be as much of a problem in cancer. It's certainly not trying to minimize the cancer thing. Cancer is super complicated, but it's just a different skill set, right? There's different issues. So that led me to Dr. G James Lukatich, who, you know, the guy at, um, in Seattle, could learn a lot from Dr. Lukatich about, a hand, about how to handle yourself with a patient. Dr. Lukatich is right on the border of confident and cocky. Exactly <laughs> where I want you. That, that's what you a want surgeon. in a surgeon. Good surgeon, quality. Awesome guy. Um, he's able to look you eye to eye. And he promised me and my wife, I will be in there when your husband gets wheeled in. I will be there the entire surgery, leading the entire surgery. I will be there doing the cleanup on the way out. I am not one of these, I go in, do my thing, leave surgery. Mm -hmm. That's what we wanted to hear. I also had become knowledgeable about things like intravenous vitamin C. And that was a deal breaker for me. And I said, are you willing to do that? 
and he, and he looks at his assistant and he goes, oh, I don't think that would bother anything. He goes, make it happen. So it's kind of nice to get the head of uh, head cardiovascular surgeon at University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, who's basically God there, he's the highest paid <laughs> person at, at UPMC. Yeah. And he even had to fight the pharmacy. So Cynthia, you could explain to the listeners, here he is fighting the pharmacy to do IV vitamin C and what other drugs are they giving me during wow. his surgery? Yet he has to, he's the head of cardiovascular, you know, uh, cardiothoracic surgery, and he is fighting with the pharmacy to authorize IV vitamin C. Maybe you can make a comment about how absurd that is given the kind of drugs I had to do for an operation like that. Right. I mean, from my perspective, I'm guessing that the pharmacy team didn't understand what it did and probably right. hadn't had to do that before. Therefore, their visceral response is to refuse. What I find interesting is that for anyone who doesn't know, cardiothoracic surgeons go through the longest residency and training program of any other physician. So when you use the term God, you're not using it, you know, tongue in cheek. It's, I mean, right. they really do spend years and years and years training. And if a cardiovascular surgeon asks for something and is getting pushback that says something, you know, we know that vitamin C, I mean, it's a mineral and we know that it can be, you know, really critical in wound healing. Uh, it's an antioxidant. I mean, there's so many components to it, but the thought that you're on probably medications to monitor and control your blood pressure, you're on uh, you know medications to control bleeding. I mean, things that have far greater impact than <laughs> vitamin C. So I'm finding that humorous. I'm, I'm of course not laughing at you. I'm yes. laughing at the situation. Uh, how frustrating that must have been for you. Yeah, far more dangerous. And I had I, the IV vitamin C during the Heller myotomy, and interestingly enough. You know, both at teaching hospitals and uh, back in Seattle, you know, the head resident kind of laughed and scoffed at me. But, you know, interesting that I needed zero pain medication hmm. after the Heller myotomy and I was up and out of there the next day, you know, functioning quite well. And fast forward to the esophagectomy, you know, and I'm in the ICU and then I'm back in, in the room and I'm, I'm up walking and I've got every tube on the planet mm -hmm. you know, stuck to me. Mm -hmm. including that lovely chest tube, um, <laughs> which is, which is horrible, right? Mm -hmm. It's horrible. And I'm walking around, you know, quite drugged up, but I'm walking around and the nurses, you know, all the nurses see is 50 year old man, right? Mm -hmm. Cause I was 50 years old. So they just see 50 year old man on the chart and they're all nervous. And I'm like, I'm out of here as fast as possible. And they're just like laughing at me and and whatnot, but I'm walking around every day and I had the IV vitamin C every day and I arranged to have acupuncture. So UPMC has an alternative um, or integrative health center. The problem, and I think patients, people need to know about this, um, universities, uh, university hospital systems are starting to do this, but there's one problem with that word integrative. The center may be integrated meaning they may have physicians with different backgrounds in acupuncture, but it's not integrated into the hospital mm -hmm. system itself. Mm -hmm. So um, the head system uh, gave me acupuncture the first time I had acupuncture, but the actual acupuncturist came in to do it the other days there, and he was thrilled because here he's working at the innovative center at UPMC which is not integrated into any hospital care. 
And he was thrilled because it was the first time he had actually done acupuncture on a hospitalized patient in the hospital. Huh? So how integrated is it? So um, that, that was, that was wonderful. And the, you know, everybody, the doc, everybody thought I was insane. I was out of the hospital in five days after an esophagectomy with That's a pyroplasty wow. where they did the rotor rooter. But you know what? I also trained for this. That's the other part. I trained for the surgery. I, I got up to the point where I was uh, on a concept two rowing ergometer, rowing 70 minutes hard. I was lifting heavy also, even though the dog, oh my God, you have AFib, blah, 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 because I was having multiple bouts of AFib during all of this stuff. Oh my gosh, blah, 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 blah. Well, I trained my butt off. So I was ready for that one hard push, like a heavy lift, and I was ready for that long, long surgery, mm-hmm. which thank God I was ready for, because by the way, why this guy from Seattle is going to get laid out if I ever meet him is because the other thing that he did, not only did he keep me flat during the hellermyotomy, but get a load of this, uh, Kelly and Cynthia, he left plastic clips in my esophagus. I wonder why I had more difficulty swallowing after six months. So isn't there like this thing called a checklist that you're supposed to kind of when you're closing up, you know, during surgery? Yeah, and they can't plastic clips. Yeah. And so Dr. Lukacic, so after, you know, the surgery for the esophagectomy is supposed to be about six hours. By hour eight, my wife is getting nervous. And after the surgery, Dr. Lukacic explained to her, he's like, yeah, the, the special um, gun that we use to kind of cut and suture at the same time, it kept getting hung up on the plastic sutures that the last guy left in your husband. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Oh, you're still getting laid out. But um, every time I talk about this. So, uh, yeah, so I was really glad I was in great shape for the surgery. And, and the, you know, the, the other part, which was lovely as a guy, was getting uh, straight cacti every day. Um, and they didn't know what to do because I couldn't void. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you can't void, you can't get released. Nope. You got to pee. You got to pee. pee, right? So guys, listen up, man. You got to <laughs> pee. And, and I'm looking at my wife who is, you know, she's a former United States Secret Service agent. And she had to use those skills at my door because that's the other thing about being in the hospital. You know, it's like, could one person, instead of one person for every job, could you have one person do all the blood draws and all the tests at once so you could leave me the blankety blank alone for several mm-hmm. hours to actually get some rest? Yes. Right? I understand so she that. Had to, she literally was at the door like, see a chump. My husband's <laughs> getting some rest. <laughs> uh, go back and figure it out. But my husband's getting some rest. So after day five, I couldn't void. I'm like, oh, and, and you know, they're, they're talking about surgery, right? On to get me to void. I'm like, oh, I'm like, honey, I'm out of here. So I said, what's the magic cure that I say is for everything? An Epsom salt's bath. So one of the things I had to do was stay for an additional 10 days because the anastomosis, which is the juncture point where they take the new part of the esophagus, which is actually the fundus of the stomach and joined it to the little disease part of the esophagus. So anastomosis, just a medical term for mm-hmm. uh, the juncture point, they had to make sure you know, it wasn't going to leak. So they said, okay, you're not local. You have to stay in a hospital, literally right outside the hospital grounds for 10 days just to, you know, make sure like duh of course that that makes sense 
but the actual hospital stay, I was supposed to be in there for 10 days. And I'm like, no, I'm out of here. I don't know about you, but I like to enjoy a nice glass of wine after a long day or with friends on the weekends. But the problem that I've encountered is that many wines have chemicals like pesticides or way too much sugar, which damages your health and sleep. Cynthia and I are both big proponents of sleep, so anything that damages our sleep is a no-go. We did some research and we found a company called Dry Farm Wine. They're the only health-focused natural wine club in the world. Their wine is all natural and additive free, and it's lab tested for purity, sugar-free, and low alcohol. So you can enjoy the taste of good wines without the massive chemical or sugar intake that can cause so many issues. When you join the Dry Farm Wine Club, you can choose how often you'd like to receive wines. You can choose monthly or every other month or how many you'd like to receive. And you can choose the kind of wine you like. I prefer reds. As a special gift, if you sign up with our link, you can get a bonus bottle of pure natural wine with your first order for just one penny extra. That's right, one penny for an extra bottle of wine. Visit the link in the description to claim your bonus bottle of natural wine and join the Dry Farm Wine Club. Cheers. So we uh, we go ahead and leave the hospital and she's concerned also because of my insurance, right? If you leave, you a problem with the insurance. Yep. Um, so I, I'm out of there and I go tub and I take an Epsom salt bath. Guess what happened? You peed. I was able to avoid. Why couldn't somebody tell me? Thank God I had that personal knowledge. Why, why couldn't somebody at the hospital tell me that? You know, it's just very bothersome with Messer and Medi. You know, everybody out there just gotta fend for yourself, unfortunately. It's a pooper. So I've seen things as a patient. So um, like, hey, you know, so we we went back that evening and told the nurse, yeah, I voided. See, yeah, I'm done. I'm back. And they're freaking out again. You know, and then, of course, the next step is they want me to meet with the dietitian. And you know how we go back and forth on Twitter on that topic, right? The <laughs> registered dietitian who's giving me the post dietitian I was all drugged up and frankly that because even all drugged up but that dietitian was a guy I might have taken a swing uh drink milk and you know eat oatmeal like are you kidding me for an autoimmune disease after esophagectomy I'm gonna put regular milk into my system like what planet did you get your education uh, on it's just so bad so, you know, I had surrounded myself with some really smart people prior to the surgery, you know, things like monitor your vitamin D levels. So here's an interesting one. I got my vitamin D up to 70 before the surgery. Wow. I took 15,000 IUs of vitamin D supplement for 10 months post-surgery. And when I did the blood draw, it was at 30. Oh my gosh. You weren't absorbing it. Bingo, 15,000 units religiously a day. So, you know, it just goes, I could go on and on and on with how important monitoring. And that's why all my Twitter posts, one metrics and performance, leave me alone. You know, I'll always the signs, always, always, always. But don't, at the end of the day, you guys are 
you got to see what your performance is and you got to know because everybody, oh my God, 15,000 units a day. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's so high. That's so, high. guess what? I was still low after 10 months of supplementing like that. And there's so many ancillary stories that go with this, but. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armour Colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armour's Colostrum strengthens immunity ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And Armour's colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced, and it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting-edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I've used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, 
even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code EWP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Um, Then what do you do? What do you do to recover? Well, how about the musculoskeletal part of being all sliced up on the right side with the thoracotomy and all the scarring? How do you heal from that? How do you get your right shoulder range of motion back? Now, I love Dr. Lukatich. I'll every time I see, so for every time I see the cattle, I want to lay him out. Anytime I want to see Dr. Lukatich, I want to give him a hug and a kiss because he saved my life. I mean, the guy is a brilliant surgeon. Amazing, just amazing surgeon. But unfortunately, not knowledgeable about recovery. Hmm. You know, so what do you do? How come just don't get that? Don't get that. Now, thank God that's the area that I know. Certainly on the nutrition side, surrounded myself with super smart people. And on the training side, you know, thank God that's my own personal skill set. Mm-hmm. So I know what to do. Thank God. And you know, now I'm heading close to 60. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just pulled a 500 pound deadlift at, you know, 59 and, uh, you know, 170 pounds. It's amazing. I think Post what you're esophagectomy pyloroplasty. Wow. Your journey is so incredible for so many reasons. And I know it'll be inspiring to people who are dealing with their own health journeys. One of the commonalities that I picked up on with your educational journey, which was very non-traumatic compared to your health journey, but was this attitude and this mindset of curiosity and being willing to go do your own research and investigate for yourself. And I'm, I'm wondering how you, when you work with the people you work with today, how do you convey that to them and how important is that? Uh, you know, I, I can't stand patients who don't, sorry for the double negative, but I don't like it when there's no question. Because my experience with, again, Western medicine is, you know, the consult with one out, one foot out the door and the, you know, to be polite reticence and to not be polite, I could use other words to not answer questions. Like, why can't I have a spouse in the room? Why can't I I remember uh, adjusting um, a woman who was pregnant and then she brought back her infant who was having projectile vomiting. So they put put this way back when on Cisapride. Drug is no longer prescribed. They put an infant on Cisapride. It's unbelievable. Well, when the wife came in, um, the mom came in, um, I said, you know, she said, my husband wants to come. I said, no, your husband has to come. Mm -hmm. I want your husband right next to us. And, you know, when I had the little consult before I saw both of them, the husband's like, you know, I'm really concerned. I'm like, good. I want you right next to me. Just the opposite of what I used to get told. No, I want you right there. And I want you to lay me out if I do something wrong. It's your kid. You're damn right. I want you to hit me if I do something. Like, I want you to be a passionate parent. I want you to care about your kid. I want you to question me. And I want you to be right there. You know, two adjustments, the kid stops projectile vomiting. 
I said, amazing. it's not this traumatic, I'm going to twist your neck off. And man, are so many MDs going to freak out. Well, yeah. guess what? I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> and I guess I can't say anymore, but you can fill in the blanks. Um, the adjustments for the cervical spine and infant, you know, I'm just pushing with my little finger just ever so slightly. And voila, on the thoracic spine also. And voila, that child, no. It's okay to prescribe a drug, which by the way, is no longer on the market. Woo, we got a crazy mindset. So question everything. And I love when patients, you know, question me. Um, part is when they go back on the conventional side and the conventional uh, medicine side crushes them and says, no, you know, I, I just saw a, a video uh, just the other day. Um, oh, it's a pretty cool group now. Uh, a bunch of athletic trainers who have a strength and conditioning background and the head person was talking about, and he's clearly a powerlifter, and he was training a woman in her 70s and got her deadlift up to over 200 pounds. And then she went to the MD who freaked out about it. And he was just talking about the smile 200 and how she told how confident she was. You know, a woman in her mid-70s, I mean, how awesome is this at? And, and, you know, the MD just crushed it like an ant. Yeah, sorry, that's not okay. Perfectly safe. So clearly, you know, there are themes that have, that have gone throughout your lifetime. And one of them is just being physically fit and taking care of your body. What are some of the concerns that you see as a chiropractor? What are some of the dangerous things that, that kind of come through your office or people will describe you know, different philosophies about how they exercise. What are some of the things that are, are really problematic that you're seeing with some consistency? Because I think for many of our listeners, you know, with your background side or the, well, I think, you know, you see a lot of, for example, just crossfitting is, is huge right now. What are some of the things that, you know, you're seeing in your practice that are coming out of people not using proper technique? I know that you're huge on technique, um, that is becoming problematic for them, either with back injuries or pain or things like that. And, and specific to people that are North of 40 years old, you know, people that are middle-aged, um, right. and yes, anyone that's in their forties or middle-aged, you have to accept that, uh, myself included, uh, what are some of the things that you're seeing the reoccurring injuries that you're seeing? Yeah, there, there's lots of reoccurring injuries. One, one quick point I wanted to make about the chiropractor and the MD. Mm -hmm. You know, my Olympic experience showed me, because on the medical staff, we were all first name, mm -hmm. didn't matter our initials. And we can actually work together because at the Olympics, you got to fix the athlete right mm -hmm. there because otherwise you're waiting four years. So it was Steve come over, Mary come over. It wasn't mm -hmm. about the letter. And I think that's what people need to understand is a good practitioner is a good practitioner. Correct. And the letter gives the patient the confidence that there was some schooling involved mm -hmm. and some work that got done by the practitioner to earn a degree. But after that, you know, you could have a PhD from 20 years ago and not know diddly because everything's changed. That's very right. true. Um, yeah. So, you know, that fast forwards to what's wrong with these patients. Well, all this stuff with the evidence, oh, strength training is dangerous for those that are older. Uh, no, gee golly whiz. No, it's not. Ask Stuart <laughs> Phillips, right? Um, it's, it, it's just unbelievable. Um, so when it comes to these injuries, especially as we get older, sorry, I'm not PC. 
uh, when it no, comes no, to No, no, I think it's important. I, I think we're very, we're a very ageist yeah. culture. And I tell people all the time, like, you know, let's change the, let's change the mindset around that, that you want to age as best you can. And there are strategies right. to do so. <laughs> so, so, you know, when it comes to, so if we talk about older folks, you know, they're, they're the older folks that are kind of on the two extremes and the one extreme is much more common where they're afraid, they're told, oh my gosh, you have osteoporosis and heavy and be careful, be careful, be careful. Oh, woe is me. Well, my mother-in-law is 77. I got her started strength training. She was always fit. It yielded. Uh, she's all of 410, 90 pounds. <laughs> her strength training a bunch of years ago, you know, with the small weights and it wasn't it we moved from Maryland. She happened to be online at the grocery met at this sweet, um, also very short, uh, sweet woman uh, named Susie Hartwig Gary. Now the woman that she met, Susie Hartwig Gary, is a 26 time U.S. national champion, multiple-time world champion powerlifter. Never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that my mother-in-law would have connected with somebody like Susie, whose gym literally is right down the street from where my from my mother-in-law's house. Wow! Now Susie trains my mother-in-law. How <laughs> awesome is that? And Susie at 50 is still kicking everybody's patooties in powerlifting. So here's this 50-year-old woman, tops in the world in powerlifting, and she is 77-year-old mother-in-law's trainer. And love it. My mother-in-law. She's, she bar, you know, shoulder presses with a bar. She deadlifts, you know, with a hex bar. How awesome is that? And the smile on her face when she posts those pictures is awesome, much to the dismay of you know, certain physicians, but she's kicking butt. And gee, that quote, osteoporosis, that's such a problem. What's her comment? Wow, now when I come to visit, I come off that luggage rack and it's a piece of cake. <laughs> How'd you like to hear that at 77? I think and I say, amazing. mom, I you know, what about, what's the difference between you and your friends now? And at 77, now get she's seeing the disparity yeah. and not only physically, cognitively, cognitively also. Mm -hmm. So that's one area is people are weak. You need to strength train. And then the side, and what really hurts is people, you know, they're a little all over and they say back in the day and usually the next part of the conversation, higher injuries and figuring out what's wrong. So it's like, I cannot end these preset quote, programs for people over 40, like, let's do a little analysis. You know, what's, do you have full range of motion in your shoulder? You have full range of motion in your hips. You know, what's a little bit, and this is where that blending of the training and the injury care comes in, just a little bit of analysis. It's like, well, push-ups are safe. Well, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's kind of like sweet potatoes are good. Well, what does the glucose meter say? I don't know. So with the push-ups, like, uh, no, you can't do that yet because this is what's wrong with your shoulder. So maybe we just need to do a full plank hold and we need to start doing push-ups off the wall to gradually build it up while we're doing some myofascial work 
with a lacrosse ball or with this cool product called an Accu Mobility Ball while we're doing some internal rotation work to get back the internal rotation or men, you know, men over 40 and they play golf. Well, we better be looking at internal rotation of your hips. Mm-hmm. You know, shame on the surgeons who are doing back surgery for the blown discs. Like the guy, there's no internal rotation of the hip. You actually did lumbar spine surgery on him. Shame on and you didn't even mention the lack of internal rotation of the hip. So when you're a right-handed golfer and you do that backswing and you have internal rotation on that right and you never showed the guy, nor you never even checked his right hip for um, arthritic change or not, but you never showed him how to restore the range of motion in the hips. So if the hips don't rotate, what's got to rotate? When mm-hmm. you, you know, one more spot in your back. Well, look at the way the facets face in the lumbar spine. They don't do a great job at rotation. Mm. Gee golly whiz, we have a disc anyway. Or rotator cuff tears. Don't Mm. get me started there. Um, Last I looked, there are 17 muscles that join to the scapula. So what's this rotator cuff problem? That's the result of the issue. Just like bone spurring is usually the result of, of an issue. It's not the issue. So it's this lack of connection Um, with what's going on with the body. And it really pains me to see people going for training and not having this kind of stuff assessed beforehand. So just because you can do it doesn't mean it's doing good things to you. Absolutely. It's very, very frustrating. I love doing those analyses and, you know, why didn't anybody else tell me that? I wish I had a buck for everybody. Nobody told me that. How come nobody told me that? How come nobody told me that? I don't know, but they really need to understand this stuff. So that's what I like to do. That's that's my fun place when I see a patient. That's like that's what I really enjoy. And then I want to give them the skill set. You shouldn't need to be coming to me over and over and over. I love chiropractic. I do not like. Well, what the I don't like most of my profession. I love what I can do as a chiropractor but I don't like what goes on in most of my profession, but I don't like what goes on in most of Western medicine either. I want the patient to be armed with as much knowledge as they can on the nutrition side, on the take care side, and then use, use us, use experts when you really are at that sticking point. And, and also don't wait, don't be dumb. Don't, don't, don't let it, let it slip. Don't be like me let things fester for too long, you know, ask the smart people when you need to ask the smart people, but the flip side, the smart people need to arm the people and need to be able to protect. I can predict what you like Dunning-Kruger. You don't even know what you don't know. Well, I don't, I, I, from all the years, and I have a good sense of what you don't know from talking to you. And I want you to be also now you do know, and now you can fix yourself. Well, we love that idea of taking responsibility and personal empowerment for your health because it is your health and your life. Um, so I really appreciate your stories illustrating that. And we want to be respectful of your time. So as we wrap up today, I would love it if you could give our listeners two of your top tips for improving their health and wellness every day. To uh, find an expert that can guide you through the nutrition and training area. Um, And then the flip side is use that advice every day, right? Be consistent. There's no, you know, the magic is the consistency. 
Um, that's where that's where the magic is. Oh, how come you can still do that stuff? Well, look at my refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Look at where I spend my money. Look, look at look at the food that's in my fridge. Right. Look at look at my garage and where I train and how I train. Come by and train with me. Come by. Look consistent, consistent, consistent. I never. You know, I was told after that esophageal polarplasty, you can't, you can't, you'll never, you'll never, you can't, you can't, you'll never, you never, you can't, you can't. <laughs> Me pull five hundred. There you go. And you know what? If I can do it, I don't genes of an Olympian for crying out loud. You know, both my parents have passed. They both died in their early eighties. My dad died in his sleep. My mom, um, and I believe he just kind of willed himself. Uh, because he saw himself starting to deteriorate at around 80. Uh, on the flip side, my mom just started to deteriorate in her early mid 70s, and it was a painful last 10 years. Oh, God, maybe that's the tip for everybody. Think about it very carefully. What do you want those last 10 to 15 minutes to look like? Well, that's great. <clears throat> right, I, think I, about that very carefully. Which way do you want it? Uh, uh, I told my wife. I'm going to be pulling a big deadlift. I'll be 103 and do a face plant on the floor. Everybody's going to freak out, but you'll see me with a smile in that face plant. And, you know, the week before I was working out. So if you love to hike, I hope you do a face plant at 103 on the top of a mountain. But you're healthy up to that day. I think that's really important. It's all about quality of life. And we have the ability to impact that on so many levels. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know you've got a crazy busy schedule and I hope that you have a very happy and healthy holiday season. Yes. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.